Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. We have been talking for the last eight weeks about faith, <clears throat> and today we're going to talk about what is uh, the most important part of faith. Um, we, we've talked in this series about our tendency to oftentimes look at life uh, and our circumstances as an indication of God's faithfulness and involvement in our life. If things are going great, we think God is involved and is very faithful. If things aren't going great, then we think that there's a problem. And when things are good, it's yay God, way to go. And when things are bad, uh, we want to blame him for everything. And we've said from the beginning that the foundation of our faith is not our circumstances or our ability to interpret circumstances, but the foundation of our faith is the person of Jesus Christ, who came to earth, who uh, was a real person in history, who lived among us, who was crucified on the cross, raised from the dead, and is now seated at the right hand of God. That's why we believe what we believe. That's why we've come this morning. That's why we have sung the songs that we've sung this morning. We've said that faith is the confidence that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he is going to do. That is how we have defined faith in this particular series, and that walking by faith is having our lives represent that in some way, that we really do believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and we live our life in a way that says that he will do what he says he is going to do. Then we talked about the very important distinction between hope and faith, that there are a lot of things that I might pray for, and that, that I, I'm, I'm really, honestly, I'm, I'm allowed to ask God for anything in prayer. I can go to him and and ask him for anything, and God, being a good heavenly father, may in fact grant some of those um, uh, requests of mine, but that he doesn't have to, that if he does give something that he has not promised, that is something that I have asked for in hope. The difference between hope and faith is that when I ask for something, in, or when I act in, in hope, uh, there's not been a promise on God's part to grant whatever it is that we're talking about. I may, I may hope that I have a, a great... Uh, weather for my golf game. I may hope that, that it doesn't rain after I've washed my car. I may hope for a lot of things like that, but God hasn't promised those things. On the other hand, God has promised that he will return one day in the form of Jesus Christ. That is something that I have great faith in. I believe that it uh, will happen. Not only am I hoping that it will happen, I believe it will happen. That is the difference between hope and faith. <clears throat> there are times when we ask for something in hope and God says no, or there are times we will ask for something and God says wait. And what we've said is that the problem is not our faith. The problem, if you want to call it that, if, I don't really call it a problem, but um, the difficulty we have is coming to the understanding that God is in control. We are so used to being in control that we don't like it sometimes when the harsh reality hits that God is the one who is in control. And you and I have to humble ourselves and say after Jesus, not my will, God, but your will be done. And when God says no, as a, uh, the fact of the matter is, it takes more faith to endure one of God's no's than it does to secure one of his yeses. One of the things that we've been taught sometimes by TV teachers or preachers is that if you aren't having everything happen in your life the way you're asking for it to happen, and if everything's not going just according to your plan, then you obviously don't have enough faith, that you haven't been able to get your faith act together, and because of that, God has not responded to you in a way that he might respond if you had, in fact, done everything from a faith perspective the way he wants it to happen. That um, what we've been taught maybe sometimes is that faith is simply a response to what, uh, 
that we that we can get God to that we can initiate God's response to us instead of the way it really is, which is our faith is a response to what God has already initiated on our behalf. The reality is that we are trying to achieve uh, something in this whole series is this maturity that we can say this to God: God, give me the faith to trust you when you say no. Give me the faith to trust you when you say wait. I don't know about you, but I want to live my life. Um, living in response to what God has done. I don't want to live my life constantly trying to manipulate God. I don't want to live my life trying to muster up enough faith and close my eyes hard enough and, and, and pray hard enough to be able to get God to do all the things in my will. I want to bring my will into alignment with his will. That's what we're trying to get to this morning. Today, I want to talk about um, one category of faith, and I'm going to tell you that it is the most important category um, of faith. It's a, it's a very narrow area of faith. It's, a, it's the most important thing we can talk about this morning. Today's message is not necessarily for all of us, but it is, and this is what I mean by that. Uh, if you're a believer today, then much of what I'm going to talk to you about, you've already been there and done that, uh, and you would be inclined to think to yourself as I start this message, well, he's talking to non-Christians, so I don't need to listen. No, you do need to listen, and here's why you need to listen. Because oftentimes when we have people come to this church, one of the things I say at the end is, if you don't know Christ, come talk to me. I'd be happy to talk to you about Christ. Or find someone who goes to church here. They'd be happy to talk to you about Christ. I had somebody walk up to me one time and say, Brett, quit saying that because I don't know how to talk to somebody about Christ. Well, if you listen to the message today, uh, I'm going to give you everything you need to be able to talk to someone about faith and to tell them, what a relationship with Jesus is about and what it's not about and how to get there and what's important and what's not important. And uh, I, there's a couple of things that at work here this morning. I don't have lots of funny stories for you this morning. I hope that the sermon is, is, um, is interesting. I hope it's something that engages you and, and holds your attention. But there's not going to be lots of funny stories. What I need you to do is I need you to really kind of lock in and try and follow because this is important stuff, Okay. The, the, the foundation of what we do here as a church is bringing people to Jesus, and this is the stuff about which we center all that around. This is what we want to say to someone. This is what we want them to understand as they come to Christ. So if you're already a believer and already a Christian, this message doesn't necessarily apply to you, but it's very important that you listen. It's very important that you be able to, to follow along and, and to be able to maybe repeat some of this stuff if you ever get a chance to have a conversation with someone who doesn't know Jesus. Um, I don't do this often, but I would even say that, that we, we broadcast all of our sermons on the internet. This might be one that you want to go back and re-listen to. And if you, if, I would be so bold to say that you, this is one that you probably ought to have on CD to be able to play for yourself from time to time, to be able to remember, okay, these are the things that I want to be able to say to someone if I'm ever trying to lead them to Christ. So um, the sermon is that important this morning. If you aren't a Christian you're probably thinking, oh, great. Everybody in the place is thinking and looking at me. No, we're not. I promise you, we're not. We, it's, it's not the way we operate around here. But I do want to say this. I hope to be able to communicate to you in a way today, maybe for the first time, um, the simplicity of the gospel. And we're going to talk about the fact that, that one of the problems with all of this is that sometimes for people, it's too simple. It's too easy. Uh, sometimes that the great barrier or the great hindrance for people to come to faith is the fact uh, that the scriptures make this almost too easy for people in light of the way we operate with the rest of our lives. Um, and I've already just completely gone off script, and that's okay. Um, 
it's not uncommon for you to talk to somebody and you'll hear them say something kind of like this. You'll hear them say, well, I believe in God. I, I believe in Jesus. You might even hear them say something like that and come behind it with these words. Not only do I believe in God and not only do I believe in Jesus, but I pray. You know, and, and what they're intimating and what they're trying to suggest there is because I believe in God, whatever that means to them, and because I believe in Jesus that there is a person or was a person named Jesus, and because I pray to God from time to time, maybe when, you know, I see a policeman and I don't want to be pulled over or, or I haven't studied for my test and I'd really like to make an A anyway, or those kind of things, you know, that, that's, that's they seem to think that because they have that kind of faith, that that is enough for them. And so, you know, they might even say something like, you know, they'll tell you a story where they had something going on in their life. I, you know, I prayed. My, my, my dad was sick, and we prayed. We all held hands, and, and uh, we offered up a prayer, and dad got better. And so, see, we, you know, our faith is good, and it works. And, um, or a marriage went south, and they prayed for it, or a child got sick, or finances went bad, or a job went bad. And they prayed, and they say, God answered my prayer, so I know there's a God. And, and I... You know, I, I even believe in Jesus, and I believe God has answered my prayer. And, and you know what? That, that experience is a common experience. That's not uncommon. You can find a lot of people who aren't going to church this morning who don't really think a whole lot about God, but if you pressed them and said, do you believe, they would say, yeah, I, I have faith in God and Jesus. But today, I want to talk to you about a very different kind of faith, faith um, in the existence of God, faith in Jesus, faith in God's ability to answer prayer, that's important, but none of that, none of that is saving faith. And what I want to talk about today is saving faith. What does it mean to have the kind of faith that saves you? Just believing that God is there, just believing that Jesus existed, just believing that because you prayed a prayer and, and the outcome was what you wanted it to be, does not mean that you have saving faith. You may have prayed all the prayers, you may have done everything that you think is right, and it could be that you have never been saved and that you've never become a Christian. So it's important what we're talking about this morning, and I want to help us get to a place where we fully understand it. Because to become a Christian, you have to have saving faith. And saving faith is a very specific kind of faith, and that's where we're going today. Now to understand saving faith, you need to understand that faith always includes two things. It always includes two things. First of all, faith always has an object. Faith always has an object. Second thing I would tell you, faith always has content. What do I mean by that? Well, when you say you trust somebody or believe that someone is telling you the truth, they are the object of your faith. If you made a promise to me um, and, I said, and I said, I believe you, then what I'm doing is I'm putting faith in you. You would at that point be the object of my faith. Now let's say that you and I were going to have, we were going to try and set up a lunch for tomorrow. And, and I said, okay, you, you meet me uh, tomorrow at 1130 out here at the Welcome Center and we will uh, go to lunch. Well, tomorrow when you get up and you put your clothes on, whether or not you make it to the Welcome Center in large part depends on how much faith you put in me and my word to say that I will be there. So you you, in large part, when you decide, hey, I'm going to go meet Brett for lunch, let's say we're going to meet over here at Applebee's for lunch. If you are actually going to get in your car and drive there, it's because somewhere in your mind you are convinced that when I told you I would be there, you believe that, you believe in me. I'm the object then of your faith in that regard. Well, um, in that scenario, I become the object. 
and you're trusting that I will do what I've said I will do. Faith always has an object. Many of you um, here today believe in certain products. And you would say, well, you know, I, I stand behind this product or I stand behind that manufacturer. And so uh, you would go purchase those kind of things. And I have a really bad joke going through my mind and I'm debating whether or not I should tell you. Okay, I'm going to tell you the joke because I don't have many jokes. You know, the only, this is an old joke. You probably have heard this. The only thing John Deere does not stand behind in its line of implements, do you know what it is? The manure spreader. Okay, let's keep going. That was really bad. <clears throat> so when you say, I believe in that product, I stand behind that product, it's because you, you place your faith in that product. When they come on television and they tell you that this thing is going to work and you, they convince you and you go spend your money on it, what you've done then is you've placed your faith in that particular uh, object. Um, now, faith always has content um, as well. Content is the specific thing that is being promised. Uh, the content of your faith is the specific thing that you are believing about a person or about a product. Let's go back to the illustration. It, the object of your faith, if you were meeting me for lunch, would be because I made you a promise. I'm the object of your faith, but the content of your faith is what I've said. The content of your faith would be, well, he said to meet him at the Welcome Center at 1130 and we would go to lunch. So I, I've got faith in Brett, that's the object, and then I've got faith in what he said, that would be the content. Those two things are always present in faith. Um, maybe you're here today and, and you're really into health, and you would say, you know, I believe in vitamins. I really believe in vitamins. If you said that to me, not for one minute would I interpret that sentence to mean, oh, this person believes that vitamins exist. See, that's not how I would interpret that statement. How would I interpret that statement? I would interpret that to mean that you believe that when you take a vitamin, that what happens to your body is the result of what you took, whatever vitamin that you took. I would believe that you meant that you were putting faith in vitamins to do a very specific thing. Vitamins would be the object of your faith. Um, what you believe vitamins would do for you, that would be the content of your faith. Whenever you believe in a product or a person, there is always an object and there is always content. Now, that is very important to understand, and let me tell you why. If you believed that I was a trustworthy person, but you didn't pay attention to the content of what I promised you, you might show up tomorrow at the wrong place. You see, both of them have to be present. You might completely believe in me as the object of faith, but if you aren't believing in what's been said, if you pay no attention to the content then you may show up at Terrytown School or you may show up over at Menards. You may show up someplace other than the one place we were supposed to get together to be able to meet so that we could go to lunch. Um, and I might be a very trustworthy person, the most trustworthy person you've ever met, but if you didn't pay attention and, and, and get the content, we would not be having lunch together because if you ignored the content of what I said to you and just put your trust in me and ignored everything else, doesn't work that way. The fact that I am a trustworthy person does not ensure that we are going to have lunch together. Now, this is all going to tie together in just a minute. What ensures that we will meet is if I'm trustworthy and if it is clear to you that the content of what I've said, the content of your faith, he said, meet me at 1130 at the Welcome Center, that's going to ensure that we go out to lunch. Faith always has an object. Faith always has content. And here's why that's important. 
Saving faith is no different than that. Saving faith is the exact same. Saving faith always has an object. Saving faith always has content. And if you're not clear on the object of saving faith, and if you're not clear on the content of saving faith, you may be one of the most incredible people who ever walked the planet, and you've still got problems. Because you may believe in God, you may believe in Jesus, you may have absolute faith and trust in both of them, but if you don't have an object and you don't have content, then you're missing the point. If you miss the content of saving faith, you may not show up at the right time and at the right place. And you could be here today and believe lots of things about the Bible and lots of things about God and still not be a Christian if you have not expressed saving faith. So what is the object of saving faith? And what is the content of saving faith? Saving faith, the object of saving faith, is Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say this, and this is very important. The object of saving faith is Jesus Christ. It is not God the Father. Okay? Say that again. The object of saving faith is Jesus Christ. It is not God the Father. It is Jesus Christ the Son. This is how Jesus said it. John 14 Uh, verse 6 and this is one of the reasons this is a verse that gets uh, the Christian faith in a lot of trouble because other world religions and people of of the world don't like Christianity because a lot of it comes from this verse I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me in other words Jesus said if you want to get to the father you have to come through me you can't bypass me Jesus says and get to God any other way I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Other world religions say that's narrow. People who don't go to church, people who just live in the world, when they come to Christianity, they say, you think you're the only way. You guys think that that you're perfect and that you're the only way. And, And the response to that is, hey, I'm not the one who said that. The one who said that lived on this earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, and rose from the dead. He has earned the right to be able to say those words. I didn't make that up. And if you've got an issue with it, you have an issue with Jesus, and that eventually will be between you and him. But I'm just, whenever I encounter someone who doesn't know Christ, all I'm trying to get them to see is, look, and and one of the things you'll hear is, well, is it possible that I believe in, in the God of the Bible and someone else believes in the God of Islam and someone else believes in the God of Judaism, we all believe and serve the same God? The answer to that is no, because saving faith comes through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so the focus of the ob- and the object of saving faith is not God the Father, it's Jesus Christ the Son. There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. But see, that's not enough. It's, it's not simply enough to believe in Jesus. And more uh, than that um, is to believe that it's, it's, not, it's, it's not enough to believe that any more than it is to believe that I'm a trustworthy person and somehow we not get together for lunch because you missed the content of the whole thing. See, there have to be those two things working together. The content of the faith is equally as important as the object of the faith. The content of saving faith is twofold. First of all, it's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The second part of that, because see, Jesus claimed to be that. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. So that's the, the, the first part of the content. The second part is this, the death on, that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross paid the way for all of our sin, that it covers all of our sin, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you do today, regardless of what you intend to do, 
Saving faith includes two pieces of content. The J- Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and his death on the cross paid for all of your sin. And regardless of what you've done, you've done regardless of what you do or, or intend to do, your sin is covered. That is the content of saving faith. Now, you may be, leave a whole lot more than that. You, you may uh, believe that Jesus walked on water, that God performed miracles. You may believe that, that he came from God, that he was born to Mary. You may believe thousands of details about Jesus. And you may believe all kinds of stories, but none of those things are critical to saving faith. The two things that are critical to saving faith, because here's, here's how we know that. You and I might read the story of Jesus and come away with different opinions about certain aspects of that thing. It does not affect our salvation. Uh, that's why there are Methodists and Baptists and Presbyterians, and, and, and that's why there are so many different groups. We interpret a lot of things different ways. But when it comes down to, you want to know whether or not I believe someone is my brother in Christ or not? It's this, it's this right here. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and do you believe that his death on the cross is what forgives you and takes your sin away. And he validated that by his resurrection. If you believe those things, we can work out an awful lot of other details. But these things, I won't fight with you about much in Scripture. Okay, I'm, there's not a, I'm not a fighting guy. I want us to get along. And I want, you know, when I was in Bible college, it seemed like every preacher I encountered <laughs> or listened to, it just seemed like everybody was trying to figure out how to keep people out. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. Don't we want people to be saved? Don't we want them to come to God? Don't we want them to know who Jesus is? So when it comes to this, the content of saving faith is really pretty simple. It's Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and it's that his death on the cross is what uh, takes my sins away. Those things are critical for saving faith, and without saving faith, there is no salvation. Now, that's pretty simple, but here's the problem. The reason people stumble and the reason people get tripped up on this whole thing is not because they don't understand that's not the problem it isn't the complexity of saving faith that's the problem it's the simplicity of saving faith that is the problem because you see that doesn't go along with anything else that we experience in life see life works this way if you want to get into a good college then you've got to work hard in high school to get into a good college if you want to get a good job when you're in college You need to work hard when you're in college so that you can get a good job. That's what we're taught. If you want a raise or a promotion, you work hard on the job. And if you want to get physically fit, you go to the gym and you work hard. And if you want to get to heaven, certainly you've got to do something. That's what people think. I talk to people all the time, and we sit down and we start talking about faith, and the thing that they've been taught, the thing that they've got, the thing that is hardest for me to get an adult person to let go of so that they can come to faith in Christ is this idea that I can do something to gain my admittance into heaven. That's the hardest thing I have to get over with people. I mean, in, in all of the rest of life, the, the, the whole I, life is predicated on the idea that you have to work hard. Everything else in life is built around cause and effect. I work hard so that this will happen. There, there, you know, I hear there are no free lunches. Brett, my mama told me there's no such thing as a free lunch. Anything worth having is worth working for. All of life would tell us that this thing called saving faith is not enough. It just seems too simple. I talk to an awful lot of people about Jesus, and the one thing I encounter the most is this idea that certainly there has to be something 
that I can do or promise. Or certainly, I have to have some kind of intent. I, you know, Brett, I'm trying. I'm trying. I, I'm trying. You know, I, I'm trying to get God to love me. I don't know how many times I've talked with somebody, and they don't necessarily always say it exactly like that. But what you hear when you begin to unpack their life is this whole frustration of, I just don't feel close to God because I keep trying, but it doesn't feel good enough. And the reason is, it's not because saving faith is complex, it's because it's very simple. It is surprisingly simple. And many times, that is the barrier to becoming a Christian. I want to look at a passage this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to begin at verse 8. The Apostle Paul is explaining salvation to believers, and, and he's telling them what saving faith is all about, and even though they have already experienced it, he's covering this for them. This is a passage that... Um, if you read very many Christian books, you will see this passage quoted often. This is a passage that I would highly recommend you commit to memory in some way. This is a passage that you would use many times in your own personal life, and if you ever wanted to talk to somebody about Jesus, this is a passage you want to have uh, at the ready. Paul explains what saving faith is all about. He's just finished telling them uh, that they were alienated from God. He's just finished telling them that they've been separated, that there was no way they could get to God that God's standard was so high and that their behavior was so low and that they were forever separated from God. And now, if you stopped right there, that's a pretty sobering message. But then Paul comes behind it with uh, how God solved the problem of sin in Ephesians chapter 2. We look at these phrases, we'll look at them one by one. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved. And then look at it again. It is by grace that you have been saved. That little word by is actually connected to the Greek word grace. That little word is charis, is how you would say that in Greek. And the idea behind charis is the idea of reason. In other words, Paul's saying the reason you are saved, and he's, and he's talking to these believers, the reason that you've been saved is, is that you have been forgiven. Grace is the reason you've been forgiven. Grace is the reason you're going to heaven. Grace is the reason that you have any hope of spending an eternity with God. And grace is simply an un unmerited favor that God has initiated the salvation process for us, that we didn't deserve it, we didn't do anything to deserve it, and it's the reason that anybody is saved, that God's grace, that he's initiated the process for us. The reason I'm saved, the people around you, if you aren't saved this morning, the reason that the people around you are saved this morning, the only reason is grace. No one in this room, I don't care how good they are, I don't care how many times they've been to church, I don't care how clean their language or how pure their bloodstream of alcohol or anything else, I don't care about any of that, the only reason that a person is saved is because of grace. And the idea of grace brings with it the idea that God initiated it, that God saw us with a need and that we were saved because of grace. If you want an acrostic to help you with this, think of grace making an acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a great way to define grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. He goes on to talk about faith. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And the little Greek word there for through indicates means, or, or another way to say it is the, the avenue, and it's a very important distinction. That means that, that the means by which we are saved, the means by which a person becomes a Christian, the reason a person is a Christian isn't, isn't um, 
faith, the reason is grace. Okay? The means by which we are Christians is faith. Because God was good enough to us to allow us to be saved, but the means by which the grace becomes a reality in our life is faith. Let me illustrate it in this way. If I were to go down the aisles this morning and I were to ask you, how did you get here this morning? Or, or, or not, not how did you get here, but why are you here? If I went down the aisles and I said, why, why are you here? I would not hear anybody say Lafayette Avenue as to why they were here. I wouldn't hear anybody say Fruit Ridge or Fort Harrison Road or 3rd or Street. No one would point to the street they drove on as the reason that they are here this morning. But the streets you drove on are the means by which you arrived at Cross Lane this morning. And you need to hear this. Faith, not effort, not intention, not works, not promises, not con- commitment, not trade, not barter, not anything like that. Faith is the only avenue through which a person can experience salvation and the grace of God. It is faith, and it is faith by itself. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That's it, saving faith. See, it's so simple. And you think there's got to be more, but there's not more. Saving faith is the exclusive avenue by which a person comes to know God. And you say, well, there's got to be more to it than that, Brett. Come on, I mean, give us more. Well, let's, let's keep reading. And this, and this, you might want to circle that because that refers back to the salvation process. Okay? This salvation is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. If you've got a pen in your hand, you need to circle the word gift. That's a very, very important word. This is overwhelming. Salvation, being saved, going to heaven when we die, no longer fearing death, all of that is a gift. And it's not the kind of gift that we oftentimes give. See, our gifts are oftentimes reward gifts. If your four-year-old behaves well, then you give it a gift. And you, you do that out of, out of response to something that they've done. It's a reward for them. If you, you know, I was at, the, at a place the other day and I saw a little girl sitting perfectly still. And then I realized why she was sitting perfectly still. Mama had set her up with some treats, and she was sitting there eating out of her bag of treats, being a good girl, not moving, not making a stink, just being a good girl because Mom had given her a gift. A lot of times at work, you'll do a good job and you'll get a bonus, not because they have to give you a bonus, but it's a reward for something that you have done. The salvation gift is a grace gift. It is not a reward gift. That God's gift of salvation is not a response to any individual. Let me illustrate. It's not a response to a good life. It's not a response to uh, a moral person. It's not a response to someone who's generous or someone who uh, has all sorts of values. That's not what it is. God has never saved anybody. God has never offered salvation to anybody because of something good in the person. You understand that? God did not save you in any way because you're a good person. He did not save you in any way because you performed in any way to deserve what God has given to you. You know why that's important? Because some of you are here today and you're thinking, I don't know if I can be saved. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm as good as these people. And that's one of the things we hear around here is, I, you know, I, I want to come to church, but I'm just, I'm, look at these people. I'm not as good as them. I... I you know, I, the, the bottom line for a lot of people is, I just don't feel good enough. And if salvation was a reward gift, something that God gave to people because they were good, you may have a valid point in saying that. 
But I've got some great news. Salvation is a grace gift. It was a grace gift to me. It was a grace gift to all of you. And it's a gift that he offers to all of mankind. It's, 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 it's available to all of us. Not as a response to something that he saw good in us, but as a response uh, to his love and his concern and his unconditional love for his prized creation. Salvation is because of grace. And it was initiated with the character of God. Remember, everything that we do in faith is a, is a response to what God has initiated for us. And salvation is the same way. So here's the picture. God looks down. He sees you and me. He sees that we're messed up. He sees that we don't get it half the time, more than half the time. We're just, we're a mess. And he decides to, to do something about that. He decides that he wants a relationship with us. And he decides to send Jesus to come and to live and to die on the cross to take care of all of our sin and to take it away. And then he holds out for all of mankind a gift. For mankind to receive and it's the offer of salvation as a gift the only requirement is you take it now here's the problem if this was a physical gift you would know how to take it if I offer you a gift a physical gift you see my hand extended to you you reach out your hands I put it in your hands and you take it so you've then received a gift but because this gift is a little different we sometimes don't know um, how to take this gift and this is really the most important part of, of what I'm going to say this morning. The way we receive the gift of salvation is, is by means of faith. To say, you know, to just say, you know, I, I believe in Jesus. No, that's not enough. Well, I, you know, I, I believe. No, that's not saving faith. Uh, saving faith says, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe that your death on the cross paid for my sin. I believe that it removes my sin away from me that it makes me pure, that I can be forgiven. What, what Jesus basically did on the cross was he went and he purchased a gift for you. And what happens every Sunday and every day of your life, if you aren't a Christian, is that gift gets extended to you. If you want to know the difference between me and every other Christian in the room and someone who's not a Christian, has nothing to do with how good we perform has nothing to do with how well we behave, has nothing to do with how many times you've been to church, what kind of words come out of your mouth, what, what kind of car you drive, where you live, how you live, has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with whether or not you have said, yes, I will receive that gift. And you say, Brett, there's, there's got to be more to it because I read this book and it's, it's got tiny little print and the, the, the book is so big. And it's got all those to-dos in there. It's got all those things that I'm supposed to do. Brett, how does all that fit together? Well, the Apostle Paul goes on because he anticipates that question. Verse 9. Um, we've been talking about grace. Then he comes up and he says, not by works. That is, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Well, they say, well, how, does, how do works fit into this whole thing? Look at verse 10. For we are God's workmanship and that word workmanship really another way to interpret that word is the word product you could put the word product in there we are God's workmanship or product created you might translate that word manufactured if, if that helps you in this day and age to understand that a little better in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do for we are God's workmanship let me tell you something interesting about that phrase. In Greek, 
They did not have a way to italicize or to bold type words. Okay? They didn't have a way to, to take a word and say, okay, you really need to focus in on this word. This is really important. We can bold type them. We can italicize them. We can put them in parenthesis or whatever. They didn't have anything like that. So the way they would put a word, uh, set it apart from all the other words in Greek, if you were to look this passage up in a Greek New Testament, what you would see is that this word, the most important word, comes first. You know what the most important word in this whole thing is? The word is God's. God's is the most important word in this whole thing. He says, you are not a product of anything other than what God has done. Okay, anything good in you, and I say this all the time, I'm a train wreck, I'm not any good, I'm a mess. If you see anything good in me, it's Jesus in me. If you take Jesus out of me, there's nothing good in me. Now, here's, that's not me being humble, that's true about all of us. Okay, you take Jesus out of us and there's not a one of us that's any good. We all got problems. All God's children got problems, especially if you take Jesus out of us. Because if you take Jesus out of us, we're no good. Anything good coming out of us is Jesus working in us. You are God's product. You are something that God is manufacturing. Yes, works is a part of it. Yes, there are things to do. Yes, there are responsibilities uh, to being a Christian. But that has nothing to do with becoming a Christian. And that's what God is doing inside you when you become his child. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Sure, there's some things that God wants us to do in life, just as there are things that he wants to do uh, in all of us. But that's not how we become a Christian. That is what God does once we have already become a Christian. And how do I know that for sure? Look at verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created, what is the word? created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's only after you have been placed into Christ Jesus that God begins the work to work the good works through you. God's works are not the way to get in. I'm sorry, I'm saying God's works. It's good works aren't the way to get in. Good works were, are the things that God begins to do through you once you have been placed into Christ. This is good stuff. Do you know why? This is the thing that sets Christianity apart from every other world religion that you know. Because what happens in, in the world is everybody wants to take Christianity and lump it into the bucket with everything else. You, you can't do that with Christianity. In every other religion, you have to do righteous things to gain a righteous standing. In every other religion, you've got to act holy to be declared holy. In every other religion, you've got to act godly to, to get that God to accept you. Christianity is completely different. God says you can't act good enough. You can't act righteous enough. You can never be good enough. God says, I'm going to give you salvation. And what drives me as a Christian every day to be good, because see, this is, whenever I talk to someone and they disagree with what I'm saying, and believe me, a lot of people disagree with what I'm telling you. But the pushback on this is always, well, Brett, you're making it too easy. And what about, you know, you'll just, you're just giving them free reign to live however they want. Well, see, that argument, the problem with that argument is that the person, what they're trying to do is they're trying to gain control. See, I'm, it's not my job to control you. It's not my job to, to tell you what to do and to dictate to you how you're supposed to live your life. The whole idea of bringing people to Jesus, and we actually believe around here, 
that Jesus calls us to follow him, we believe that as you follow Jesus and as you are loved by Jesus, that his love will change you. It's not my job to change you. It's not the elder's job to change you. It's not anybody's job in this church to change you. It's Jesus' job to lead you and to teach you. And if you're, if you're really coming to faith and you're really serious about being a Christian, then I'm assuming that you want to grow in maturity. I'm assuming that you're going to want to do certain things. I don't wake up in the morning and behave myself, try to behave myself good so that God will love me more or so, so that God will save me or so that I can stay saved. I am saved. And my performance has nothing to do with that. I get up every morning and try and live my life to the glory of God because I have been saved, because I have been given a gift. If you've ever been given something that you could never pay back, you ever been given a gift so big that it just completely blew you away? You ever been given a gift that was so generous that you thought to yourself, man, how, how in the world do you, I mean, I'm going to write a thank you note, but there's no way as I write this thank you note that the words can convey how big the thank you is in my heart. If you've ever get, been given a gift like that, then you know what it's like. And, and, and to be able to say thank you, God, that's not, that, that just doesn't seem like enough. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm trying to live my life in such a way that gives God glory and praise for what he's done and to say thank you, God, for what you've done to me. Thank you for the gift you have given to me. See, you ever wonder why when you come to this church, people are happy and they're full of joy? Because I'll be honest with you, I've been to churches where when you walk in, you don't, it doesn't feel like this. It, it feels like a funeral's about to happen. You ever wonder why people are smiling when you walk into church and why we're happy around here and why we're filled with joy? It's because if we were a group of people trying to earn our salvation, if we were a group of people that were, were concerned about whether or not we were in or not, you know, we, this is what we would sound like. Well, how'd you do this week? Well, I was only about 60%. I think I'm only operating about 60% this week. You know, I, don't, I haven't been very good this week. I, I got mad on Wednesday and said some things I shouldn't. And if you'd have heard the conversation my wife and I had yesterday and the way I yelled at her, I... I and if, if getting to heaven and if God loving me and if me staying saved was dependent on my behavior and my ability to perform, I don't know about you, but I'm in trouble. I mean, that's not going to work for me. And, and I, I got a feeling that's not, probably not going to work for you. I mean... I, Listen, the people that are around this office and the people that know me real well, I'm sure they watch me sometimes and go, oh my goodness. Look at him. He's a mess. But you know what? We're all a mess. If, if you walk into a church and they're not real fired up about being there and they're not real excited about their faith and about Christ and about worship and all those things, you know what's going on in their mind? What they're thinking in their mind is, I hope I'm good enough. Man, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think I've done enough, but I'm not sure. I, I, hope, I hope I'm good enough. I, I've done the best I can, but I, I don't know. That, you know and and there, there could be no joy in some churches, and that's why. Because they're living their life in such a way that they aren't assured of anything. They're so beat up. The beautiful thing is that in, in Christianity, the way God intended it to be, here's Betty over here, and she's been a Christian for a day. Here's Joe, and he's been a Christian for 10 years. And here's Martha, and she's been a Christian for 50 years. And we're all given the free gift of salvation, and our response is, God, thank you. Thank you 
And I'm going to live my life in such a way that says thank you for the gift that I have been given. I've got a long way to go, but you keep producing your works in me. You keep doing whatever it is that you're going to do in me because I'm your product. And one of these days, and I I don't hope to gain anything from you, God. You've already given me more than I could ever expect. But in response to the gift that you have given me, and in response to the fact that you have forgiven me, this is how I'm going to live my life. There is no other religion that can make that claim. There is no other religion that frees people up to be that way. There's no other religion that brings that kind of peace. Because if I never do another good thing, I am forgiven. I am a saved person. See, acting good won't get you in, and acting bad won't get you thrown out. And see, a lot of people don't like that because the minute I tell you that the way you act won't get you thrown out, well, Brett, what what are you going to do if they start misbehaving? Because see, what they want is control. The minute I figure out that God's in control and I'm not in control, that's not my responsibility. My job's not to control you. My job is to tell you the truth. And the truth is, if you're a Christian, you're saved, and you got saved not because you did anything, and you don't get thrown out because you did anything. Let me illustrate it by giving you this, and then we'll close. I didn't become my dad's son because I acted like a son. I became a son because I was born into the family. If, um, if my dad came to me and said, Brett, wait a minute, I'm going to mess this illustration up if I don't think it through. I'm 47 years old. And I am still, I do not obey my dad and respect my dad so that I can become his son. I still obey and respect my dad. When he tells me to do something, I don't talk back. I do what dad tells me to do. And I respect my father. It isn't to become his son. I do that because I am his son. Now let's pretend for a minute that I wasn't. Let's pretend for a minute that I want to be dad's son, but I'm not his son. And he says, Brett, I'll, I'll adopt you as a son, but you've got to love me. You've got to respect me. Here's five or six things that you've got to do. And if you do all those things consistently, I'll adopt you into my family. Well, I want to be in his family. So I'm going to do, begin to do those things that he has put in front of me to do. I begin to respect and honor and love my dad and And uh, I'm going to do that list of things that he's prescribed for me to do. The question is this. Why would I be doing those things if I was wanting to be adopted by dad? Am I doing those things for him? Or am I doing those things for me? I would be doing those things for me because I do those things, in this case, to get a reward. Right? Right? But the great and liberating and exciting thing about being a Christian is that I don't have to live a certain kind of life to gain God's acceptance for me. I didn't become dad's son because I acted like a son. I became dad's son because I was born into the family. You know what God is offering you today? An invitation to be adopted into the family of God and the way you Sign on the dotted line, the way you receive that gift 
is by expressing saving faith. It's that simple. The question is this. Have you ever expressed saving faith? Have you ever encountered a time in your life where you confronted the facts? I am a sinner. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Jesus' death on the cross paid for my sin. And God, I am depending completely on Jesus' death to save me and get me into heaven. When you express that kind of faith, God says that it's just like reaching out and accepting the gift that, that I've offered. And you're in. And you're in forever. You cannot perform your way into heaven. And, and the, the thing that I have the hardest time in the world getting adults to believe is that. You cannot perform your way into heaven. It just doesn't work. Here's, you want to know something uh, God won't do? God will not love you less than he loves you. You want to know something God can't do? God cannot love you more than he loves you. He is crazy about you. He loves you. He loves you just the way you are. He's initiated the salvation process just the way you are. You don't have to perform better to get it. He offers it as a gift. And if you've never expressed saving faith, belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and belief that his death on the cross saves you from all your sin and that you can be forgiven, you need to do that. We're going to offer you that chance in just a minute when we stand and sing. Let's pray before we do that. Father, we, we have a tendency to kind of muddle this up a little bit and to make this about an awful lot of things that it's not about. And Father, a lot of this just comes down to control. When we finally relinquish control and we finally look at you as the one who is in control, either as a saved or unsaved person, then that's really where understanding begins to seep in. And it's really where we come to the place where we realize that you have initiated everything. And our response is as humbly as we can to say, God, I need that, I want that. You're offering me salvation and, and I, there's no way on earth I'm good enough for salvation. And the reality, Father, for every person in the room this morning who has professed faith in Christ is that we are completely forgiven. We stand in front of you sinless, blameless, holy, pure. You call us a saint. And it's not because we behave like one. It's not because we've strung together a bunch of good acts this week. It is simply because we realize we can't do it without you. We're not good enough. Father, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that. Perhaps the most beautiful passage in all of Scripture that you've given to us, Father, is that God, you demonstrate your love for us and that while we were still sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. And for that, we thank you. And it's in his precious name we pray.